wherever there are shadows, there are people ready to kick at the darkness until it bleeds daylight. This is Bleeding Daylight with your host, Rodney Olson. Welcome. Please consider sharing this and other episodes through your social media accounts or through word of mouth with friends so that more people can kick against the darkness. You'll find our social media links at bleedingdaylight.net. Today I'm talking to a storyteller who believes we should all get better at telling life's essential stories. Today's guest has been a teacher. He's worked alongside his wife in Korea as a missionary. He's an author and a church planter. Britt Mooney is also the host of the Kingdom Over Coffee podcast. Even though many people of faith are left shaking their heads at the state of the world today, Britt believes that in the face of the tragedy and hate all over this globe, Christians do have the answer. He's recently released the book, We Were Reborn for This, The Jesus Model for Living Heaven on Earth. I'm so pleased to have him join us on Bleeding Daylight today. Britt, thank you so much for your time. Hey, man, it is great to be here. And as someone who has lived over on that side of the world where you are, I'm happy to be on a podcast in a different time zone. It makes me happy. (laughs) I feel like I'm half at home again. Good, good. I am very keen to jump into some of your experiences and especially finding out more about your new book. But firstly, let's head back in time. Tell me a bit about your background. Where was home for you growing up? I was born in the United States in uh, the state of West Virginia, and then we moved to Alabama, and I lived there for a bit. But really, I kind of grew up through my teens in the Atlanta, Georgia area in the United States. You know, I grew up in church. I grew up in a fairly conservative, evangelical background in church. There's always pros and cons to things when you're growing up, and part of maturity is realizing, you know what? It wasn't all bad. It wasn't all good. And just kind of delineating some of that. But part of what was a blessing about where I grew up and how I grew up, even as conservative as the church was, we were taught to really dig down into what the Bible actually said. We we weren't just given pat answers to things. I wasn't just given pat answers to things. I was really encouraged to seek out the scripture. What does it really say? and have those conversations with men and women in the church. And it was a small enough church that I had I had relationship with a lot of people who were adults and pretty much you know, older than me that really mentored me and looked past my long hair. I was a heavy metal guy. I played the guitar and the bass and wrote really loud songs. I was doing it all for Jesus, but they looked past a lot of that and just really tried to see my heart. I was really blessed that I had a very positive experience of people who were really willing to have conversations and allow me to ask interesting questions that maybe a lot of teenagers, you know, I was that kind of kid. I was that kid that would ask the question that, you know, a lot of kids probably wouldn't ask, you know, why is it that way? Why do I have to do that? You know, and I would question a lot of things and God was very kind to me to put me in a situation where I had adults around me that would have those conversations with me and seek out those sort of answers with me. So that's kind of where, where and how I grew up. It's interesting that you're using terms there like conservative and evangelical, because perhaps some years ago, that meant that 
it was a group of people who wanted to share Jesus, who were very certain that they wanted to believe the right things in Scripture. And yet, so many terms like those, they've become loaded terms, haven't they? Oh, absolutely. There's sort of this fine line that that people try to draw between what we we kind of call fundamentalism and 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 I had those experiences with churches like that when I was when I was younger and Christians like that who saw my long hair and the style of music that I would play even though I was singing about Jesus there were some Christians who didn't believe you could be a Christian and play these styles of music and it seems kind of silly now but you're right, it's kind of taken on some other meanings. And yet, I think for some of us who grew up in it, especially the healthy parts of it, I think we realize what a gift it was to have a, a clear foundation. I mean, we use the terms maybe conservative, but there was a real firm idea that there was that there were foundational truths. And I think that for me, at least, and I think for a lot of us who grew up in that, there's a certain amount of security and a good foundation there as we as we tried to navigate what the culture was doing and all the all of these things, but you're right. And nowadays, it's almost become like a like a cuss word to call people a conservative Christian. You know, that's bad. As you're evil and and oppressive, and and I didn't have that experience at all in my particular context. So yeah, you're right. We we kind of changed the meaning to some of those things. And I guess digging into those foundations means that. You're continuing to dig. You're continuing to find what does this 2,000-year-old book still have to say to me today? What is the truth that I need to draw out that is just as applicable for today? Is that part of what set you on this trip to do things like head to Korea, to be a missionary and to to plant churches? The short answer is uh, it wasn't really my dream to move to Korea or to plant churches (laughs) My experience with God is that I have my own ideas and then God leads me on his path for me. The Bible says that we make our plans, man makes his plans, people make their plans, but their steps are ordered by the Lord. And oftentimes we think we know what we want, but God actually knows what we want and need. And we're not self-aware enough sometimes to know what we want or need. And so God directs us into pathways that really will satisfy us, that really will bring us joy. I was taught to hear the voice of God and to follow what he's telling me to do. Oftentimes that was different than than my idea of what I thought my future was going to be. I thought I was going to be a rock star. When I was in my teens and early 20s, I thought I was going to be a rock star for Jesus. And I had a pastor look at me one time and go, no, you're, you're a pastor. That's who you are. And I thought, no, that's not, <laughs> that's not who I am. That's not what I'm going to do. But, and then that's where God leads me as a church planner and, and as a leader. And not kicking and screaming, but God's kind of had to lead me along these ways and reveal to me that this is actually where you're going to find a lot of the satisfaction that you're searching for. And in the same way, moving to Korea, my wife and I were teachers here in America and my wife is fluent in German. And so our assumption was we wanted to move overseas, but our assumption was we were going to go to Germany or we're going to go to Europe somewhere, live cool and live European. And of course, God had another plan and God called us to a place where I'm 
way too tall. I'm six foot four. So I'm far too tall. I, I didn't like the food. I was going to stick out, but he brought me there because he had a plan and he wanted to teach me things there about how to be an alien and a stranger in this world and how to live as if this world is not my home and the kingdom really is and that heaven is really my home. And so he had things that he wanted to teach me that he knew were going to actually satisfy my soul. Yes, the foundation was there. The foundation was all of those foundational things about the gospel and the doctrine of the scripture. But essentially, the foundation for me was he's the Lord of my life and he gets to tell me what to do (laughs) because I've given my life to him. I have surrendered my life to him in repentance and faith. And so he leads me and he's such a good father that he leads me in places that I may not have chosen (laughs) on my own. In the end, he knows what's good. He knows the end. He knows what's going to satisfy me. He he knows what's going to bring me joy and give me good things. I know that you're someone who is very keen on storytelling, and you believe that there's a lot of storytelling throughout Scripture, and maybe we should lean more towards storytelling rather than just telling people what to do. Amen. This is something that's been huge for me as a writer. Before I was a church planner, before I was a lot of these things, I was a writer, and I still am. I I write fictional stories. I write things similar to Lord of the Rings and fantasy and science fiction. I've done a lot of study about story. While you do that and you read the Bible a lot, like I do, you start to realize that there's all this sort of stuff in the Scripture, too. And it says in Matthew 13 that Jesus spoke these parables. There's a number of parables there in Matthew 13. And in the middle, around verse 34, 35, I think, Matthew says, Jesus taught these things with parables, which are stories that he made up. And then he says, he never taught without a parable. Now, that doesn't mean he only taught in stories, but Matthew says, and and it's repeated in Mark, that he always taught with a story. In, In other words, every time he taught, he would tell a story somewhere in there. And then in Matthew, he explains that this is a fulfillment of the Old Testament prophet, which is actually David from one of the Psalms, where it says that I will open my mouth and speak in parables and reveal the secrets that were hidden from the days of old or whatever. Jesus was explaining things with stories, and he was revealing eternal realities in very common stories. That's part of our call as human beings is to live a story, live in such a way that heaven is real and heaven is made evident in our life by what we choose and and the way we act and how we are generous. And that's even how we're supposed to pray, right? You know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Like we're, we're living as if heaven is real because it is. We're living that sort of story. And then we're also supposed to tell the sort of stories. And for the Bible, there's three types of stories that they would tell. One would be actual narratives, right? So Jesus or Paul or somebody would tell stories about something that happened in the Old Testament, and then they would bring out an eternal reality and principle from those stories that really happened in history. They would also tell stories about themselves, We get some of the gospel stories from Jesus actually explaining what happened to him. I don't know that the writers of the gospels would have known some of those stories without Jesus or Mary or someone else 
telling them the stories. Like Luke would not have known any of that because he didn't know Jesus personally. So they would tell stories about what happened to Jesus. And Paul would tell the story about his own life. His own conversion was a central part of his preaching. I used to kill Christians and then Jesus knocked me off my horse and I'm preaching the gospel. Like this is a very radical story that has a lot of power. And then also there's stories like the parables and other things that are made up, but reveal sort of a deeper truth than the common elements that are part of them. Like a woman loses a coin, she finds it and she celebrates and invites her friends, you know, like, but Jesus is explaining that this is how the kingdom is, that there's an eternal reality in this. Uh, beyond the common that we see, I think that for us as Christians, we have to see these things and realize that the Bible is full of narrative and is full of stories. It starts out within the beginning and telling us this grand epic story. And so often we're more interested in the apologetics and arguments create enemies, but stories make friends. And so when we tell stories, we're being relational with people. We're, we're bringing people into a conversation. We're revealing some deeper truths to them with a story that we really can't do with declarative statements. Like I can say God is love and that is true, but those three words, God is love, does not, cannot, because it's human limited language, it cannot fully express the reality that God is love. We tell a story that God sent his son to die for us to be with us, to be Emmanuel. And, and we tell the story of this gospel that reveals the depth of his love. For God so loved the world that he gave his son to die for us so that we wouldn't perish. And then he rose from the dead. Like there's a very radical story here. And that's the gospel. And that shows us his love on a depth that just the mere statement that God is love can't really do fully. Yes, I, I absolutely believe that we should be better at telling our own stories. We should be better about telling the stories of Jesus. I think it encourages people. It gives people hope. It reveals the miraculous. You know, when somebody hears a story about somebody raising from the dead, it seems unbelievable, but it, it opens up their mind to the, all these different possibilities uh, besides the life that they feel stuck in. And it gives people hope reveals eternal things. I absolutely believe that storytelling is a huge part of what we should be teaching each other to do and encouraging each other to do. Not that the doctrine or theology is pushed to the side, but that they can be meshed together, that we can express doctrine and theology like Jesus did with very simple stories. Some of those stories that Jesus told were like a sentence long. <laughs> they weren't very long. And yet there was very deep meaning within them. I think we would make a lot more friends and, and we would bring a lot more people into eternal discussions if we just told more stories. I'm interested in just a quick look at some of the, the parables, as you mentioned, is some of the storytelling that we do see in the scripture. And it's interesting that when we're telling a parable these days, we say, here's the parable and here's what it means. And yet in scripture, yeah. Jesus doesn't always explain what it means. And sometimes he only explains it to the disciples afterwards when they say, hey, look, that, that story you told, it's like, what, you didn't get it? Okay, I'll tell you. 
what place is there for leaving things open-ended in a story? And again, the story that you were just telling, the parable of the, the woman who loses the coin and saying the kingdom is like so much throughout Scripture. People are trying to get a grasp on this idea of kingdom and all Jesus says, well, it's like this. And let me tell you another story right. never seems to come down to this is the definition of the kingdom, but it's like this. That is so good, Rodney. I think that is so insightful because you're right. Neither Jesus nor Paul, the two people who talked about the kingdom of God the most, and Paul was an academic. He was trained in philosophy. You see that in his writing. He's able to engage the Epicureanisms and the, and the Stoics in Athens. But neither Jesus nor Paul give a definition of the kingdom. The kingdom of God is this. And that's because it's such a different reality. No definition of the kingdom would ever do it justice. But what they did was they told stories. They talked about it. One of the things we love as humans, well, we love it and we don't love it. We want to discover things for ourselves. As a teacher, I'm not in school teaching now. I'm not a teacher in a school today, but I have a background in teaching. My wife's still a teacher in public school. People own what they learn when they learn it for themselves. They own it. They remember it. And a good teacher doesn't just simply tell you something and get you to regurgitate it back to you. A good teacher will give you enough to send you on a search for yourself. And then when you find the answer for yourself, you own it. It's now yours. And this is what Jesus was doing with the parables. The disciples actually begged him. The disciples actually begged Jesus, will you please stop telling stories? Just tell us what you mean. And he said, no, I'm telling this in stories because I'm hiding it on purpose. I want people to dig. I want people to search. I'm leaving the mystery open-ended so that those who truly want to know will ask, will dig a little further, will show some effort. Some of those people who actually did that were those disciples. The, the 12 closest to him would ask him later, what, did, what are you talking about? We didn't understand that. And sometimes Jesus would say, do you understand this? And he would let those parables kick off and activate some, some deeper conversations. When, when I say we don't like it, our brains are lazy and we're lazy enough that part of us is like, just tell us what you want us to know and we'll repeat it back to you. Okay, now I've checked it off. I've passed the quiz. That's not what God wants because we don't own it then. We don't own that information. We don't own our faith in those moments. We own our faith when God gives us enough, but he doesn't really give us the whole picture yet. And he's wanting to see if we're going to dig. You know, the mystery genre in writing is like the second moneymaker only under romance, right? We want to be involved in stories that have some mystery and, and don't give us all the answers right away. We want to kind of dig and figure it out for ourselves because then we own it. And God wants us to own our walk of faith. Ownership is all in the scripture. He gives the talents to the servants. So it's a gift. They didn't earn this. He tells them, now go work as if it's yours and invest it. And then the two who did that, they doubled their money that he gave them. And when they tried to give it back, he said, no, this belongs to you now. 
In other words, you own this. You worked with it. You applied it. Now it now you own it. It belongs to you, even though it was originally a gift. And the one who buried it, who just was like, oh, I'll just regurgitate it back to you. He lost it all. That's also the reason why a lot of Christian entertainment falls flat is because I think we give people the answers too much. We don't tell the kind of stories that get people to ask questions and have conversations. We can point to the answer, but we don't let people kind of get people into this mode of, oh, there's a mystery in this. And what is it? What's going on? What's behind this? Those are the stories that are very powerful, that are saying something without openly saying it and and allows us to kind of dig into it. The very insightful what you said that they never give a direct definition of the kingdom, but they told stories and got us to search and figure it out. I love it. I want to dig into your book. We were reborn for this, the Jesus model for living heaven on earth. Give us a bit of a thumbnail sketch. What will people find between the pages? Well, it's a lot of what I've already been talking about. The motivation behind the book was, first of all, it's a message that God gave me. A big part of my focus of my ministry and and what God has given me to share with people is that I don't think we understand what we have and who we are in Christ. And it's always bothered me that there's this idea that if you really love Jesus and if you really are interested in the Bible and you really have this radical experience with Jesus, then you should be a pastor. Then you should be some sort of professional Christian. And I just don't see that in the scripture. For the New Testament, for every believer and every disciple, it's a radical thing. It's a radical transformation. It's it's darkness to light. It's death to life. It's bondage to freedom. Like, like It's as radical as you can get, and that's normal Christianity. And yes, God raises up leaders, and God raises up pastors, and God raises up facilitators, but the leadership in the New Testament is to activate the new creation that's within every believer. That's the message of the book. You know, I start out with one of my favorite lines from one of my favorite movies, Hook, with Robin Williams, and and he doesn't know he's Peter Pan because he's forgotten, and and he's ruled more by fear and and economics and and all this sort of stuff than he than he is remembering the adventurous young person that he used to be, the child that was within him, and he has forgotten that he's forgotten the hero that he is. When his kids are taken, Wendy says, "Peter, don't you know who you are?" She's trying to get him to see that he's the only one that can save his kids. It's not going to be the police. It's not like the the enemy that's involved needs Peter Pan to fight that enemy. So she's trying to activate this reality of, of who he really is, the hero that's within him. And she says, Peter, don't you know who you are? And I feel like that's been a big part of my message for people don't you know who you are? And that's the point of the book. The point of the book is to say, it's not going to be a political party. I'm not against political parties necessarily. It's just, it's not going to be a political party or a certain politician or a church program. It's going to be the people of God being activated in the new creation that we are in the spirit that's inside of them living heaven on earth as a people. That's what's going to bring hope to 
the world that desperately needs it. And so I use the narrative of Lazarus, Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead as a framework to show how Jesus was trying to be that model. This is how you live as if heaven is real while you're on earth. And so that's that's the book in a nutshell. <laughs> I guess these days we're told who we are. Coming back to that phrase of don't you know who you are, we're told often who we are by mm. society and even by the church. We're, we're told sometimes that we are culture warriors, that we need to go out and fight for everything to be Christianized, so to speak, that we should mm. be legislating faith. And yet here we have this very different look of saying, don't you know who you are? You are a son or a daughter of the living God, and you're here to bring light to this place. Tell me a bit about the the difference between what the world, what the church is telling us, and that person that we truly are. You said it perfectly. When we realize we've been born from heaven, the Bible says we've been born again, and we've been born from heaven to live and declare that there's this other world that people are longing for. There's this other world that we all long for. And so it's not that we shouldn't stand up against evil things that are happening in our society or fight for the good things. We should do those things. But the problem a lot of times with whether the world does it or the church does it is it's as if this is the means to an end. Well, if we get the right law, this will fix stuff. And I'm all for good laws. Like we should have good laws. I'm not saying we shouldn't, but there's a deeper reality that actually transforms. Like laws, we know laws don't transform things. We have a whole Old Testament that shows us that law doesn't change people, that at our core, our hearts need to be changed. And people need to see a group of people living as ambassadors with with a heart change. And when they do that, then it's bigger, even under evil laws, evil laws can't stop the people of God who are living as if heaven is real. Again, this is in the, this is in the New Testament, Old Testament. It's in all throughout history. If you read like even under evil regimes, they can't stop the people of God because you're of another world. You're of another more powerful transcendent reality, which is the kingdom of God in heaven. When we understand this, it's not as if these other things in the world aren't important, but they're put in their proper place. And we are empowered just by God that whoever we are from the least to the greatest, we are all empowered by his spirit. None of us are here by our own abilities or our own intelligence, or what what have you, we are all empowered by God, by faith, and by the new creation, and by being born again. We are all empowered to be a transformative agent in the lives of the people around us. And if we can activate that, I believe that's what the world needs. The world needs more people alive in the spirit, more than they need better laws. And I, again, please don't hear me wrong. I, I don't want bad laws. Jesus was incarnated. He came as a person to be with us, to love us, to be with us. And that's the model of transformation. He wasn't a senator in Rome. There was a reason why God chose to do this, because that's the best way. Is he, he was born to be among us, to live with us, to be real, to have relationship, to live as if heaven is real right alongside us. And that's the model. 
We live in an increasingly complex and complicated world where there are more and more people that seem to be antagonistic towards our faith. And yet, how much pressure do you think it takes off when we realize that all we're being called to do is live who we really are in Christ? Oh, it's almost a rhetorical question. That's so good, man. <laughs> I, 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 so, I so appreciate that. Uh, it, it takes all the pressure off. There's a part of the book where I, I talk about the gift of living from identity. I, I think so much of, and, and I got to be careful because I know I, I know a lot of pastors and I know a lot of churches and I know their their heart isn't necessarily for this, but you almost get this sense sometimes like, well, if you go in the right program, you'll kind of achieve the right thing and you'll live the, you know, all this sort of stuff. And yet I think a lot of times we don't realize that the worship, the praise and worship we seek to, to have, we don't have to work it up. The Bible says that the spirit within me cries out, Abba, Father. I just have to rest and submit to that spirit to have, to worship and praise him. Jesus is already in my heart telling the father he loves him. And I just have to enter into that. And the Bible talks about being in Christ uh, more than it talks about anything. <laughs> it uses the term in Christ, I don't know, a hundred times. The New Testament about in Christ, in Christ. What does that mean? Is that, man, I just got to be in him. And so then when he moves and I move, I, I don't have to put this pressure on myself of how people react. You know, even Jesus didn't. Like that's his model. For those who have ears to hear, let them hear. Even he didn't try to control how people responded to him. He did what he saw his father do. And he said what he heard his father say. And that was his success. And I, and I believe that that's a gift to us because there's rest and there's peace in that. That doesn't mean we'll have a perfect life because Jesus encountered resistance and he told us, he promised us that we would too. And yet he says, but don't be afraid. I have overcome the world. Like this is this is the victory. This is the victory and it's that simple relational I'm walking with the Father and I'm walking from my identity. I'm walking from victory. I'm giving from the resources of heaven. I already have all things in Christ. I don't need to achieve anything. I just need to walk with him and walk in that reality in that identity. And I, I totally agree with you. It takes all that pressure off of, did a million people respond? Did, did people get saved? Like, I don't, I don't have to think of the results. He's in charge of that. I'm already a winner <laughs> just walking with him and submitting my life to him. Brett, I'm sure that many people would want to be in touch with some of your work, either the podcast, Kingdom Over Coffee, or any of your books, including the new one, We Were Reborn For This. I think that's a great title, We Were Reborn For This. If people are wanting to find you, where's the easiest place for them to look? My Facebook page for Kingdom Over Coffee is... My main thing, I've got a lot of followers on there, but you can find Kingdom Over Coffee pretty much anywhere that the podcast services are, whether it's Apple or Google or Spotify or whatever, Amazon, Kingdom Over Coffee is on there. And I, I usually have great guests. I've got some great guests coming up. So be sure to check that out for my books. You can get, we were reborn for this on Amazon. Pretty soon it's going to be up on Barnes and Noble and stuff like that. But right now it's on Amazon. You can get it at least the ebook all over the world. And those are probably the two 
two biggest ways you can sort of get in touch with me. I will put links in the show notes at bleedingdaylight.net so that people can find that easily. But Britt, it has been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. Thank you, Rodney. This has been amazing. And and God bless you and and everyone listening. I, I hope they feel empowered and encouraged. Thank you for listening to Bleeding Daylight. Please help us to shine more light into the darkness by sharing this episode with others. For further details and more episodes, please visit bleedingdaylight.net.